1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Wednesday War College. My name is Jesse Romero, One Man Car. My partners are out doing apostolic work, Kyle and Dan Schneider. We're still in the month of December. This is the Christmas season. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ is born. Alleluia. Alleluia. The incarnation, God became a man. That's what we're celebrating for the next couple of days. We're in the octave of the Christmas season. The liturgical color changes from purple to white and gold. It's a symbol of joy, purity, and innocence. And again, Jesus Christ is the reason for the season. Wednesday War College, we're going to talk about all things spiritual warfare here. A couple things on the rundown that I want to talk about today. There's an accused killer who laid on a Catholic priest in the form of a cross after stabbing the priest in Nebraska. We'll take a look at that. Also, on the rundown, the Satanic Temple unveils a new holiday display featuring a goat skull at the Michigan State Capitol. Also, on the rundown, are tattoos demonic portals? They can be. Stay tuned. And also, An article in Spanish that was translated into English, and I verified it because I read the Spanish version, since I do speak Spanish. And there's a card, uh, an, an article from Argentina that, that tells us who Cardinal Bergoglio's uh, favorite exorcist was back over in Argentina. When, when the Pope was Cardinal Bergoglio, he used to refer people to an exorcist back in Argentina Who was that exorcist? I'll let you know in the fourth segment. So, today's psalm I want to just mention before we move on with the show here. Today's psalm, Psalm 97. Rejoice in the Lord, you just. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many isles be glad. Clouds and darkness are around him. Justice and judgment are the foundation of his throne. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his justice and all the people see his glory. Light dawns for the just and gladness for the upright of heart. Be glad in the Lord, you just, and give thanks to his holy name. Alleluia, alleluia. We praise you, O God. We acclaim you as Lord. The glorious company of apostles praise you. Alleluia, alleluia. All right. So, what happened over in Nebraska? Well, evil reared its ugly head because we do live in a fallen world and and we do live in a time that Pope John Paul II called the culture of death. So, over in Nebraska, a suspect in the murder of a Nebraska priest was discovered lying on top of the victim forming the shape of a cross as the pastor was bleeding to death 
according to an affidavit filed in the Washington County Court. The responding officer said in the court filing that he saw the suspect, 43-year-old Kier L. Williams, lying perpendicularly across the 65-year-old Father Stephen Gatskill, lying across his chest after the stabbing. Father Gatskill, or Gutskell, excuse me, Gutskell, who served as a pastor of St. John the Baptist Parish in Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, died from his injuries later that morning. Let's just pray for him right now. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal rest grant unto Father Gutskell, O Lord, and let your perpetual light shine upon him. May the soul of Father Stephen Gutskell, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So here's what the officer saw when he got to the crime scene. On, on top of the, of the white male, Father Gutskell, there was a black male, the suspect, here Williams, laying on top of him with his back pressed on the white male's chest area. The responding officer said that the black male was lying on him in a perpendicular fashion like a T when his, with his feet facing the kitchen. The officer said he entered the parish rectory shortly after 5 a.m. on Sunday, December 10th, after the priest called 911 to report a, a home intruder with a knife, according to the affidavit. When the officer arrived six minutes later, he unholstered his pistol, entered the building, and announced his presence. The officer said, I heard a, loud, I heard, a, I heard a male voice that yelled, In here! Followed by additional yelling that I could not decipher. The officer said in, the, in an affidavit, I then hear the voice yell, Help me! I responded by asking who else was in the house. And the voice stated, An intruder! When the officer saw Father Gutskell, the priest, he had a severe laceration to his face and was bleeding profusely. According to the statement, officers who came to the scene to provide backup and perform life-saving measures on Father Gutskell identified more lacerations on his face, hands, and back, the affidavit alleges. Although the suspect, Williams, complied with the officer at the scene, the affidavit claims he became aggressive in the interrogation room. It states that he aggressively stood up, pushing the table away from himself, and approached the officer in an aggressive and hurried manner. With the assistance of two correction officers, the affidavit states William was secured in a restraining chair. Williams was charged with first-degree murder and three other felonies, use of a dangerous or deadly weapon to commit a felony, burglary, and possession of a weapon by a prohibited person. Williams is, con is a convicted felon for possession of cocaine and fleeing and eluding law enforcement with a deadly weapon. Let's continue to pray that the Lord have mercy and 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 love, and will welcome Father Gutskell into His heavenly kingdom. The Omaha Archbishop George Lucas said in a December 11th statement, "said May our Blessed Mother intercede for us all as we grieve His death." So Father Gutskell, he was a uh, the pastor at Saint John the Baptist Church. <clears throat> they had his his funeral on the 17th of December. His funeral mass was held at St. Cecilia Cathedral in Omaha. And he was buried at Calvary Cemetery. And uh, 
let me give some spiritual warfare analysis here. So the suspect, Kier Williams, this 43-year-old suspect, by laying on top of the priest, well, first of all, for us as Catholics, if you assault a priest or punch a priest in the code of canon law, that's uh, uh, worthy of excommunication. So it's a grievous crime in canon law for a Catholic to assault a Catholic priest physically. Huge crime. Uh, can you imagine killing a Catholic priest, a priest of the Most High God, a priest who carries the indelible mark, who is a priest of the Order of Melchizedek? Now, this suspect, by lying on him in a perpendicular manner, in the form of a T or the form of a cross, this suspect, Kier Williams, is either making fun and mocking the dead priest by laying on him and making a cross, or B, it's a ritual murder. And he was following the protocol after he killed a Catholic priest. So it's either A or B. It's one or the other. He was either mocking or poking fun at the priest, or it's a ritual murder of some type of secret society. Whether it's one or the other, that action was as evil as it gets. The moral of the story is bad things happen to good people. And good things, at least temporarily, happens to bad people. Our Lord tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, quote, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There it is. Our Lord Jesus Christ tells us that bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people as well. This type of human evil, it haunts our human imagination. I get it. There's a study in Catholicism called theodicy. Theologians call it the problem of theodicy. And the problem is this. We ask ourselves, how can we say that our God is good, that he cares for us when there's so much evil and chaos in this creation? Well, the truth is there are no easy answers. Evil exists. We see it all around us. But moral evils are committed by individuals, not by God. And there's no easy answers to why God allows these things to happen other than he's given all, all of us free will. But the answers are really found in Jesus Christ and his cross. Remember, God never causes evil. And God does not punish those he has created in love. We need to remember our Lord promises always. But especially when hardships and sufferings come, our Lord holds this world and each of our lives in his loving hands. He's the Lord of history. Everything he does, he does from love and for our salvation. And so as the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, we can cast all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. You know, this is the message of the cross, the power of the cross. By rising from the dead, Christ showed that God can bring the greatest good from the greatest evil. And because he conquered evil and death, human suffering now finds meaning and value in light of God's cross and resurrection. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere.
Wednesday War College next on the rundown. The Temple of Satan seems to be very active all over the United States. There's a satanic temple that's now unveiling a new holiday display featuring a goat skull at Michigan State Capitol. Yep. Once you thought it couldn't get any worse, or once you thought it couldn't get any nuttier, or uh, (laughs) for those of you that are probably saying, are you kidding me? Is this microphone on? Yep, this microphone is on. The Satanic Temple has unveiled a new holiday display, this time at the Michigan State Capitol. The group claims that the Satanic altars are meant to promote religious diversity. Last week, a Satanic Temple was beheaded in the Iowa State Capitol by Michael Cassidy, a Christian and former military officer. God bless him. That's a hero right there. That guy should be getting the Heroes Award. The temple, the Satanic Temple's members across Michigan united to create their own state capital holiday display. The Satanic Organization wrote in a post on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, they wrote the following. Lansing's TST candidate congregation crafted the GOAT with help from the TST West Michigan and TST Detroit. Stop by the Capitol to view our Michigan congregation's display, close quote. So they're bragging about their satanic display at the, at the state Capitol in, uh, in Michigan. They're bragging about it on social media, the Satanist. <clears throat> if, uh, on Twitter, it says this, the Temple of Satan put the following. Yeah, and again, TST members across Michigan They've united to create their state capital holiday display and Lansing's Temple of Satan candidate congregation crafted the goat. It's a goat with the help from the Temple of Satan, West Michigan and the Temple of Satan, Detroit chapter. It says stop by the Capitol to view our Michigan congregations display. That's what they wrote on X, the platform X. They also put They also posted on X, the Satanic Temple says, the new display features two Nordic pagan Yule goats, one of which is adorned with a goat skull. Traditionally, the goat is burned as part of a ceremony to alleviate pain and suffering, according to a report from News 10. Nope, let me correct News 10. The goat is a symbol of Satan. And uh, that's why our Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 25, 31 and following that who's going to be damned at the end of time? Those on the left, he calls them the goats. Those on the left are the goats. They will be damned at the end of time. Those on the right are the sheep. They will be saved at the end of time. A goat is a reference to a damned person. A goat is a reference to Satan. And I want to just share with you a story about a friend of mine at a parish. I won't mention what parish. Uh, this couple young, young, well, younger than myself and my wife. Uh, she said that when she was living a sinful life, 
over in Los Angeles that she used to, her husband lost his job and they had hard time. They, they, they were um, experiencing financial hardships. They were secular. They were not going to church. So she took a job as a, as a working at a bar, as a barmaid. And she was pretty, you know, she was good looking and young. And so management just said, Hey, why don't forget waiting on tables? Why don't you go up there and dance on stage and take your clothes off and we'll pay you 10 more times the money. So she did. She was a secular humanist. She told me that as she was on stage performing and she didn't tell me how long I didn't ask her when she'd perform at night, she said, when we would go in there, all the young girls would be a table full of drugs. So we would get there. She goes, because you can't take your clothes off in front of men unless you're under the influence, she told me. She said we would get whatever drugs we wanted. We'd, we'd, we'd pump our bodies with narcotics, take our clothes off, then we'd go on stage and dance erotically and get money from the men. She to- and, I, and I said, how did you snap out of it? She said, well, I started listening to you on radio. On my way to work, I would listen to you on radio and some of your podcasts, and you started kind of pricking my conscience about church and Jesus and coming back to the sacraments. But uh, it wasn't until I would listen to you on radio and I got to work one day and I did the regular protocol. I go into the dressing room. There's a table full of narcotics. Me and the, work, the girls that worked the night shift uh, that, would, that would dance nude, we ingested ourselves. We pumped our bodies up with narcotics, took our clothes off. We went on stage and we, and we began we began performing, exhibiting ourselves. And she says, and I remember something that you said on radio talking about uh, uh, purity and, and holiness and the way Jesus Christ wants us to have a clean heart and our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking about all these things that, I'm, that I've heard you say on radio, she said. And all of a sudden, as I'm looking out there and I'm on stage and I'm dancing for these nasty men, she says, I look down at their feet and all of them, every one of them, they no longer had shoes on. They had hooves. Goats hooves were coming from the bottom of their pants. Goats hooves. She said that I looked up at all of them and all of them had goats' faces. She said, I immediately sobered up, ran to the dressing room, put my clothes on, ran to my car, never came back. The next day, I went to confession, started going back to Mass, grabbed my rosary, grabbed a prayer book, and I haven't stopped going to Mass, praying the rosary every day, and... uh and trying to amend my life ever since God allowed me to see those men. All of them had goats' hooves and all of them have goats' faces. And God allowed, allowed me to let me see that. And that's what scared literally the hell out of me. And I ran out of there and I've never come back. <clears throat> so back to the article <clears throat> about the members of the Temple of Satan. They gathered at the state capitol on Monday for the unveiling Michigan state capitol of their of their de- of the of their demonic uh, of their goat display satanic goat display. So the new display features two Nordic pagan yule goats, one of which 
is adorned with a goat's skull. Traditionally, the goat is, is burned as part of a ceremony to alleviate pain and suffering, according to a report from News 10. Members of the Satanic Temple gathered at the state capitol on Monday for the unveiling. Just the opportunity for us to gather and to be able to celebrate the year and celebrate our own achievements and celebrate religious plurality. That's what it's all about for me, said the Satanic Minister of the Temple of Satan, Bender Bones. That's what he told News 10. $20,000 was raised in just three hours to cover the legal fees for Cassidy, the, uh, the, the, the Christian gentleman, after he tore, torn down the Iowa display of a satanic statue, which featured a goat's head on a red caped mannequin holding an inverted pentagram wreath. God bless this man for his bravery. Michael Cassidy, former military officer, who had the guts to tear down that temple of Satan, that statue cut the head off. Good for him. God bless him. Speaking to the Sentinel, Michael Cassidy said that he had beheaded the statue in order to awaken Christians to the anti-Christian acts promoted by our government. He's spot on. This is happening with the permission of the Democrat Party who runs this country right now. There's uh, Michael Cassidy... Again, he's a Christian, a former military officer. He's the one that tore, tore down and beheaded the satanic statue in the altar in the Iowa Capitol. Good for him. Guy deserves a medal of valor. The Sentinel reported the following. It said this. The world may tell Christians to submissively accept the legitimization of Satan, but none of the founders would have considered government sanction of satanic altars inside Capitol buildings as protected by the First Amendment. Cassidy said, Michael Cassidy said, he continues, anti-Christian values have steadily been mainstream more and more in recent decades, and Christians have largely acted like the proverbial frog in the boiling pot of water. We need more brave men like Michael Cassidy. So why is the Temple of Satan doing this? I'll tell you why. Think about it. Armies plant their flags when they win a battle. Gangs mark the spot of their territory. It seems to me as the Temple of Satan is planting their mascot in places of governance and power, which tells me that our government is okay with this. Our Biden-run government is turning a blind eye to it. I also believe that this is happening at this point in our human history because we have a lot of occultists in our society and working for the government. There's probably many government employees that are either Illuminati Freemasons, Satanists, witches, or wizards. Think about this. As Catholics, we put statues to honor and venerate the person that the statue depicts. It's a way of claiming and marking that spot as off-limits to anybody else. Well, that's what the Temple of Satan is doing. By putting these statues 
in government buildings, they're saying, we claim this for Satan and it's off limits to anybody else. This also reminds me when Christopher Columbus came into America, when he discovered America and landed in Veracruz, Mexico, what's the first thing that he did? He thrust a large crucifix and planted it on the beach of Veracruz and consecrated the Americas to Christ the King. That's what you do when you put a statue. It's a consecration. It marks a spot. It's a way of claiming the spot. And that's what the Satanists are trying to do all over this country. Claim this country's state capitals for Satan. And we must push back. We need more Michael Cassidy's. This has to stop. Up next, I'm going to be talking a little bit about tattoos as a portal for the diabolic. I've talked about it before, but it's worth revisiting. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero. I want to share with you the reflections of Monsignor Rossetti. He's the exorcist from Washington, D.C. And he talks about tattoos and he shares one of his cases of how somebody was diabolically afflicted as a result of tattoos. Here's what he writes, Monsignor Rossetti. He says, Apparently, the person, a person that was diabolically afflicted came to see him. And I don't know if he referred him to the deacon, but the deacon got involved. And uh, the deacon did a prayer of decommissioning. And here's how it goes, okay? It says, Monsignor Rossetti writes, When the deacon poured the holy water on her tattoo, she howled. It's burning me. The water was actually cold. Again and again, he poured holy water on the tattoo as I, as Monsignor Rossetti, as I repeatedly read the prayer of decommissioning tattoos. After months of deliverance prayers, including exercising this tattoo, it was finally over. The tattoo is now benign and the demons connected to it are gone. Surprisingly, it is just a tattoo of some roses but it became a huge demonic portal and a major focus of the exorcism. It was connected to her past as a stripper and carried sexual overtones. With the help of her parents, she found her way out of the clubs into a regular job and into the confessional. At one point, some of Satan's minions had targeted her and were trying to entice her back into the clubs and her and or force her into the sex trade. Several of them had tattoos on their bodies, including Baphomet and Akamana, a demon of sensual desire. Who, by the way, we, re- we rebuke, renounce and reject in Jesus name. Go to the foot of the cross that Jesus Christ may do with you as he wills. Mother Mary crushed the head of this infernal spirit under your immaculate feet. Amen. 
So Monsignor Rossetti writes, thankfully her parents again came to her rescue and protected her. So people ask, Monsignor Rossetti says, people ask me what I think of tattoos. He goes, I don't recommend them. With the demonic tattoo, the person has bonded the self to the demonic entity. Even if the image does not depict something evil, if it is connected to sinful behaviors, as with this young woman, it can be a big problem. Moreover, some tattoo parlors have been known to curse the ink or inscribe magic symbols inside the images. Monsignor Rossetti writes, I believe that some tattoos are spiritually benign. For example, someone showed me a small tattoo of a strawberry on her ankle. Some people even desire to tattoo religious symbols on their bodies, such as crucifixes or holy images. However, I would recommend instead wearing a blessed crucifix on a chain or a lapel or wearing a blessed brown scapular or miraculous medal around the neck as I do. The mother of Jesus promised great graces to those who wear their medal with confidence. It is true. Monsignor Rossetti says, I hope the tattoos are a fad whose time is rapidly passing. There's uh, another, ta- another article from Spirit Daily that was written years ago, which it says, taboo of tattoos is seen in cases where spirits may attach to them. This was written by Jan Rieger, a lay Catholic. And she writes, she writes this, uh, as she was helping out a person, trying to uh, evangelize a person who was involved in, in the occult. And uh, she says this, the three of us were praying for her in the spirit as the blessing of the oil touched her skin. We had her bless her tattoos with holy oil, with blessed oil. Large goosebumps formed. Her body temperature dropped as if she had a spirit of death. We began praying for her. And she diabolically manifested a few times and it was gone. She says, after she had put the blessed oil on herself, as we told her to, on the front of her legs, she turned and showed us the back of her legs. And there was a tattoo. There was a tattoo on the lower leg and the heel. It was a tattoo of a dragon. And she asked in bewilderment, did you guys see this tattoo? Shortly before my legs started hurting and going, going out on me, she answered. I, I, I told her, are you aware that you're walking around with a picture of Satan on your heel? The young lady said, Satan? She responded. She was not aware Satan is referred to as the old serpent, the dragon, in the book of Revelation. What are some of the dark side of tattoos? Well, some of the dark side of tattoos. First of all, we know that uh, the Bible says 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, do you, not, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been purchased at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Also, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. So St. Paul writes, cleanse ourselves from any defilement of flesh. St. Paul says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, May the God of peace himself make you perfectly holy, and may you entirely, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the New Testament doesn't speak against tattoos specifically, but the New Testament does say to make your body perfectly holy. The New Testament does say cleanse yourselves from every defilement of the body. The New Testament does say your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament does say glorify God in your body. Also in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19.28, the Bible says, it actually gives us, it gave the Jews, the, the Israelites, rules for tattoos. In Leviticus 19.28, the Bible says, quote, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. So you probably wonder, why is God telling the Jews not to get tattoos on themselves? Here's the context. When God first gave this command to the Israelites, he was drawing a line of demarcation between his chosen people and the Egyptians, whose land they had just left after 430 years, and the Canaanites, whose land they were about to enter. Both of these cultures were steeped in witchcraft and the occult. Both of these cultures, the Egyptians and the Canaanites, were a culture of death. So, both openly worshipped and served demon gods, gods, the Egyptians and the Canaanites, and both used tattoos as part of their idolatry and pagan worship. So God was trying to protect the Israelites from opening themselves up to demonic influence. Well, guess what? We too are God's people. And he wants us as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, come out from among them, come out from among them, close quote. God wants us to separate ourselves from the world and the world's fads. When we do that, we will avoid doing things to our body that God never intended us to do, and that includes getting tattoos, especially profane ones. In a Rolling Stone magazine that I was perusing, they quoted a famous tattoo artist named Paul Booth. And Paul Booth said that while he is tattooing people, he allows his clients' demons to help guide the needle. (laughs) Wow. I hope that what I just told you will prevent you or someone you know from further defiling your earthen temples that we call our bodies And I pray that it gives you a greater understanding of the unseen world of demons 
as well as the insight into what's behind the ink. If you already have a tattoo or piercing and you're wondering what to do, that you know the truth, well, here are some steps that you can take. First, repent. Repent to God for violating scripture and for bloodletting, which is, which is witchcraft. And also repent for defiling the temple of the Holy Spirit. Go to confession. Then renounce the spirits behind the tattoo or piercing. The witchcraft and rebellion are a given. But many tattoos have images that need to be addressed. Sexual tattoos may invite a spirit of perversion. A skull and crossbones invites a spirit of death. A religious tattoo, a spirit of religion, and so on. If you have a piercing in other than an earlobe, remove it and repent for defiling your temple. And whether it's a tattoo or a piercing, anoint it with oil and break any assignment of the enemy that came in through the modification of your body. And as Catholics, remember, go to confession, give it to God, and walk away from it. One of the things that we do know about tattoos is that this was an ancient pagan practice practiced by all the polytheists. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Wednesday War College. My name's Jess Romero. Moving on to the next topic on the rundown. There's a Spanish article written years ago when Pope Francis was the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, Argentina. The Spanish, the article's in Spanish, so I can read it in Spanish, but it's been translated into English accurately. And the article's surprising because the article shows, demonstrates, it says that Pope Francis, when he was Archbishop Mario Bergoglio, his favorite exorcist was a Lutheran priest. Remember, Lutherans don't have the fullness of the priesthood. They're heretics. They're heretics. They don't have... They don't have the faculties of a priest. But according to the Spanish article that Mario Bergoglio, Cardinal Mario Bergoglio would refer cases of possession to a Lutheran priest. You can't make this stuff up. This is one of those head slapping, forehead slapping moments. So let me, let me read the story to you. It's written in Spanish, but here's the English translation. Okay? Goes like this. Manuel Acuña, a Lutheran priest who specializes in spiritual healing and is a personal friend of the Holy Father, who used to refer him each time there were signs of diabolical possession in a person. Five years ago, Alejandra, a possessed person, 
or, or, or a mother of a of a possessed person desperately went to the archbishop's house in Buenos Aires looking for a solution to what seemed to be evident signs of diabolic possession in his five-year-old son. She had knocked at the door of several churches, but per, but uh, but permission for Rome to perform an exorcism still still did not come. Now I don't know what that means because a Catholic priest exorcist does not need permission from Rome. They just need permission from their bishop, not from Rome. So the article says she had the opportunity to have a personal meeting outside of any protocol guidance with the man who at the time was Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio, the new Pope of the Catholic Church. The anxious woman was handed a piece of paper with a name and a phone number on it by Cardinal Bergoglio. The name on it was about Manuel Acuna, a Lutheran priest that we know as Catholics. They're not priests who specialized in spiritual healing and personal friend of the current Holy Father. This was neither the first time something like this happened or the last in the long history of exorcisms performed by today's, by today's proud demon-expelling right-hand man uh, of the head of the Vatican. Uh, Manuel Acuna, this Lutheran priest, who, who actually is a fake priest, he says... He, the Pope, and I are very good friends. The Holy Father is an extraordinary person. We know each other very well. And he has a great deal of respect for spiritual healing. Due to his honest interest in anything related to healing, every time we were on the phone, he made time to ask me about this topic and to check on how my activity was being carried on. He's very knowledgeable. However, Lutheran priest Manuel Acuna became somewhat enigmatic when asked about diabolical possession cases that came directly from Bergoglio's office. Hmm. To speak about that would be really compromising for today's Pope. I love and admire him too much to jeopardize him in the least, the priest says. So in other words, he's indicating that Mario Bergoglio, Archbishop Bergoglio, would refer cases of possession to a Lutheran pastor. Can you believe that? Lutheran priests don't have the power to exercise demons. They don't have, they don't have the, the priesthood they're fake priests. That's what they are. The article says, Nonetheless, Alejandra's case brings details about the protocol that has been followed for years. I first went to a church in the southern part of the town because it was close to my home. They checked my baby there. And about that time, he had, all, he had already been treated by doctors first and then by healers and that people recommended to me. Nobody could do anything for my baby. Even doctors told me to go to church because there was something else, the woman said. The boy exhibited a number of characteristics related to demonic possession. One of them was that the boy, the five-year-old boy, inexplicably talked in a strange old language, Aramaic. Can you imagine a five-year-old boy speaking Aramaic? His mother, once convinced of the spiritual help needed for his child, went to the church. Once there, they checked the boy but could not do anything because they needed special permission. Uh, <clears throat> the authorization did not arrive, and time was passing by in the meantime. We went to another church, and the same thing happened. The priest told us that they did not have any doubt about the child's situation, but that they could not do anything without permission. Somebody recommended I, I asked to speak to uh, Cardinal Bergoglio. So I found his whereabouts and went to see him at his office. I did not set up an appointment. I just came by. He kindly received me. It was a short period of time. He looked at some papers I had. He was very understanding. He promised me a quick solution. 
several days later, I was summoned by phone. And when I returned to Cardinal Bergoglio, he gave me the now famous piece of paper with the Lutheran pastor's name. I was told to call immediately and that I would find a speedy solution to my problem, Alejandra said. The communication was instant, of course, and the solution seemed to appear very quickly. Father Manuel, who attends cases like this at his own Lutheran Good Shepherd Parish, received her the very same day, as referred by Cardinal Bergoglio. There were three healings. My son changed profoundly in the first one. Something in his, in his, in his sight had faded away. Something sinister in his look that had given me chills. When the exorcism was over, everything changed for us. Our life changed and my son was able to develop a normal life. We will always be thankful to both priests, Cardinal Bergoglio and Lutheran pastor Manuel Acuna. They were a blessing come our way, the woman explained. Besides this story, Father Manuel Acuna, the Lutheran pastor, has more than 200 registered exorcisms. Many of these stories were reflected in these pages during the last years, and they went viral. The friendship with Pope Francis, Francis is something to be proud of. Uh, Manuel Acuna, the Lutheran pastor, says, I learned so many things from him during all this time. Every word, advice, hug, and restraint of his, I will keep in my heart. I consider myself his son. And I'm going to put all my effort in making his message and pronouncements spread all over our community. That is the point to spread the word of God everywhere. The Lutheran pastor explained. I'm just wondering why Pope Francis, he's got so many Protestants in his life. Why doesn't he try to evangelize them and bring them into the fullness of truth? All right. Well, let me talk about a Catholic versus a Protestant. Okay. Now, all the baptized if you're baptized under the Trinity, all the baptized have the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but we don't have authority over one another. The two types of spiritual authority in Scripture that you have, you're either a religious leader with spiritual authority, such as a high priest, Levites, Aaronic priesthood, prophets, apostles, presbyters, deacons over the congregation. The second type of authority we find in the Scriptures is the father's spiritual authority over his wife and family. We're called the church militant. A Catholic priest is a commissioned officer of Christ in the church militant. A Catholic priest bears with the full weight of the institutional church behind him and the full authority of Christ the King. The Protestant minister is like a mercenary. He farms himself out wherever to whoever will hire him. He has some power because he's baptized and he prays in the name of Jesus, but he has no institutional protection. He's on his own. And because demons submit to the authority of Christ's name, a Protestant minister may be able to cast out lower level demons, but not the higher level demons. A Protestant minister's prayers will bring some emotional relief, but but not full liberation because he does not possess the full authority of Christ, nor can he confer the sacraments, which is what ultimately heals the soul. We proclaim this at Mass when we pray right before we receive the Holy Communion. Lord, I'm not worthy to, re- to enter, un- Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Matthew 8 8. Protestant denominations do not have the sacrament of confession. And the real presence of Jesus and Holy Communion, which brings healing to the soul. 
So a Protestant pastor, a Lutheran pastor, is not an officer in the church militant. They're not an officer in the true church. They're hired mercenaries that may have some level of success from reading Catholic sources and imitating Catholic practices and prayers like Bob Larson does and others. But ultimately, a Protestant minister and Protestant deliverance ministries cannot close the portal to the diabolical and bring full healing to the soul. They can provide temporary relief, just like an aspirin does. But unless a spiritually afflicted person is reconciled to the Father by receiving sanctifying grace of the sacraments, then the portal to the demon remains open. Sanctifying grace is what ultimately restores the spiritually afflicted to mental and spiritual health and to reconciliation with God the Father. Protestants can't provide the sacramental grace necessary to close the portal to the diabolical and heal the soul. So, a Catholic priest has authority over you. A Protestant pastor does not have spiritual authority over a baptized Catholic and over demons. Finally, you have to be very careful who lays hands over you This is a very serious action. And the person laying hands on you can transfer his negative spiritual junk over to you by the laying on of hands. Well, that's a wrap. My name is Jesse Romero. Jesus 911. Remember, Lord, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Psalm 69 verse 2. That's the flagship verse of this program. And we're just putting the spotlight of truth upon this culture of death. We will continue to speak truth to power and live without fear. And we'll continue firing missiles of truth to the wall of lies. God bless you, family. Keep the faith. Remember, we're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. See you next time.